I'm Jeff Smith, and welcome to The Secrets of Success. Throughout my life, I've been fascinated by one single question, and it's how do successful people become successful? What is it that makes that big difference in our lives? Over the last 40 years, I've interviewed rich people, famous people, and many millionaires to find out their secrets of success, and my aim is to share their secrets here with you. Of course, success is not always measured in money, and in these programs, I'm looking at many different success stories from people in all walks of life. I want to find out what makes them tick, how they overcame adversity to keep on going when times get tough, and I want to extract those magical nuggets of wisdom so that you too can implement the secrets of success into your own life. In today's episode, I'm talking with Dame Clarissa Burt. Dame Clarissa is an internationally acclaimed, award-winning media personality, producer, director, writer, author, public speaker, former supermodel, and winner of the Celebrity Survivor Show. With hundreds of television and film credits to her name, this who's who of international and American women brings over 35 years of entertainment industry experience in both international and American markets. Clarissa is the founder and CEO of In The Limelight Media, a multimedia platform consisting of TV, video, podcast and a digital magazine. She's also the best-selling author of The Self-Esteem Regime, published in 2001. She was the first American to present Russian TV at the Kremlin and has had two private audiences with Pope John Paul II to honour her social work. As the ambassador to the United States, she actively helped African women win the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011. Now that's a lot, right? But that's not all. In June 2022, Clarissa was knighted by the Royal Order of Constantine the Great and St. Helen, joining the ranks of only 350 dames worldwide. This is going to be a story of amazing success, recognition and the trials and tribulations of what it took her to get there. Let's bring in the amazing lady herself, Welcome to the show, Dame Clarissa Burtz. Well, how kind of you, Jeff. That's right. You know, there's one thing in that bio I'm going to have to take out, I think, and that's the 35 years. I'm going to get rid yeah. of <laughs> Because people say, how did you do all of that? And I always say, well, it's because, you know, I'm not a kid anymore. I've been around the block a few times. <laughs> well, we've, <That's> why. <laughs> well, we've spoken a couple of times now, Clarissa. And you always manage to look fantastic. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, there was an old there was an old commercial back in the day. It said, "Only my hairdresser knows for sure," and it was for Claire all hair color. You know, they yeah. <laughs> covered the kind of thing. Um, you know what? I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world. I really I really have lived every year. I think to the fullest with every mistake that I've made. And every triumph uh, that I um, have enjoyed, uh, I, I don't think I'd change a thing. 
Sounds wonderful. Well, it is wonderful to have you here today. How are you and where in the world are you at the moment? Well, I am well, thank you. I am in Phoenix, Arizona, which is where I live and have been living since 2005. Prior to that, I was about 30 years in Europe. Most of my time was spent in Italy, uh, where I did most of my modeling career and had a phenomenal, phenomenal time doing that. And then it parlayed into about 18 different movies. So I acted in different movies. One, the only one that went worldwide was called The Neverending Story Part Two. So some people may remember me as the mean queen, Zaida. In the Never Ending Story Part Two, uh, and that was a Warner Brothers worldwide release, and they told me I was I was uh, uh, translated into seventeen different languages. So I think it'd be very interesting to see me, you know, translated in Japanese and Chinese. But I digress. <laughs> um, I must and, check that out and see you don't. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and then I I really fell in love with I fell in love with the medium of television. It was what I really, really enjoyed the most. I love the immediate impact. I love the audience uh, there, right there, live, live television, live audience, I think for me was, it was, well, look, I was Mary Poppins in the kindergarten play. And so when I heard, you know, I got done singing Supercalifragilisticexpialidocia and everybody got up on their feet and clapped. <laughs> and I think, you know, I was bitten by the bug. Yeah. I was. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Well, I can't wait to find out about your amazing life. I want to go in depth about this book because I think it's really topical right now. But before we do all of that, I want to find out more about you, Clarissa. So I've got three questions, Ooh. deep and searching. So where were you born? What was life like for you as a child? And what were your dreams and aspirations as you were growing up? I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to very, very normal people, uh, you know, labor class, definitely. They uh, labor meaning, you know, um, blue collar um, because labor for you in the UK means something different. It was it was a blue collar uh, row home in, you know, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm a thousand percent Irish. As far as I go back on both sides, there is Irish blood. Um, with the exception of the first Clarissa, which was my great-great-grandmother who was born in Germany. Um, and I uh, was, you know, I was, I was a very precocious little child. I was up and bubbly and alive and, you know, really re ready to affront this thing called life. And, um, and I was told from a very early age that I was vaccinated with a phonograph needle. So I think... <laughs> <laughs> so I think that from there on out, the writing was on the wall that I was going to be in some way, shape or form, either on a stage or in front of a microphone or both. And uh, and I did as Mary Poppins in the kindergarten play absolutely fell in love with with, you know, the medium of being on a stage. Um, fast forward until I was about 30. I didn't do much on the stage after kindergarten until I was in about 30. And I was in Italy, and I was asked to be on television, and the, and we you know, it was we had the variety shows in Italy, and so I was I did a little bit of comedy, which was fun. Uh, we did I did I headed up a news desk, and then you know we had some lots of fun around that, and then uh, I sang every Sunday. I would do a song uh, live, and um, when they first called me, they said, you know, would you can you sing? And and I kind of thought that I could, but I would never have said yes. 
And I said, well, let's give it a run. Let's give it a try. And I came into the studios and that was the end of that. So, yeah, it was it. That's how really I was able to start to live the dream that I had as a five year old girl. It didn't really happen until I was about 30. Okay, so what was that dream of the five year old Clarissa? Abba Gardner, Rita Hayworth, big stages, you know, broad Hollywood big stage productions. Um, and those were my girls. Those were my my two go-to that I would look up to as a young girl. Um, I love their their class and their grace and their elegance, their beauty, their talent. Um, and it was those were those were my those are my gals. So I would look up to them and um, and of course then you know, we go through a very gawky stage. So I went through the ugly duckling stage, which was, you know, flappy ears and buck teeth. And I was very thin and super flat chested. And I went through this horrible stage where I was dreaming of being, a you know, a model one day and never believing that I could. We used to get back in the day, and you'll remember this, Jeff, um, before computers and internet, we used to get here in the United States, the Sears catalog, and they would come out twice a year, and it would be spring and summer and fall and winter, and I couldn't wait for them to show up because I would go directly to the women's section and I'd take a look at these models and how they were posing and how they, you know, their hair and their makeup and every month, you know, women's magazine that my mom would get, I'd do the same. And I would just delve into, no, I didn't read an article. I didn't care about reading anything. I just wanted to take a look at the models. And uh, and I think that, again, writing was written on the wall, uh, but how to get through a gawky stage. And then all of a sudden, being, you know, the flat chested, tallest girl in the class became quite an asset. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I, I was living in New Jersey at the time. I moved into New York City. I was working as a secretary. I was, gosh, I was 18, 19 years old. And people kept saying to me, oh, you really should become a model. And I'd say, oh, come on. I could never, you know, and I really loved hearing it until one day I went in for what they call test pictures because photographers need the pictures, the models need the pictures, the makeup artists, they need the pictures to build their portfolio. And uh, I took those pictures into a couple of different agencies in New York City, and I was accepted in 1981, 80. 80 uh, by Wilhelmina and Elite. I chose to go with Wilhelmina. And the next is really history. I was in uh, Paris for a while and continued to build my portfolio. And then I went into Milan and uh, started modeling there. And I fell in love with Italy and stayed for the 30 years. And the rest is history. Again, modeling and then the acting and then and then on-camera talent for Italian television. And then I produced my own television shows. So my television shows, that uh, the, uh, the last television show I did was the Miss Universe pageant uh, with 2,000 people sitting in front of a water, uh, sitting in front of a castle in water uh, with 18 different live cameras. So it was, it was, they were spectacular. And again, going back to that big Hollywood production I was talking about before. So, yeah. All right. I, I want to rewind you back a little. Oh, I'm pretty wound up. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to take some doing, Jeff. <laughs> so, yes, I, I've grown to know and love you already. So uh, <laughs> let's go back to 1980. Everybody's telling you, 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 hey, Clarissa, you should be a model. You're going, no, no, no. Really? Okay, let's do a portfolio. So you do your portfolio. So 1980, you were about 19, 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes. what was the industry like then? 
And what mm-hmm. were the trials and tribulations you went through? Because you don't mm-hmm. just become a supermodel when you go to New York. Yeah. Hey, that's it. I've arrived, guys. I'm here. So, mm-hmm. so what happened? How was it for you? Well, first of all, I learned about markets, and I learned about t- you know being in the right place for the right, you know, right look. It was funny because back in the day, in the '80s, it was the blonde hair, blue eyed mini skirt on the beach, jumping and romping around and loving life and smiles from ear to ear and Good God, that was not me. And I was very good. So I'm in New York, and my look is just not the United States. It's not the American look. It's not what's selling in the moment. So in comes an agent from New York into Wilhelmina. I'm sorry, from Milan one day uh, into New York. Then I come in and see the agent from Milan. Oh, I'd love to. So I went in. He said, you'd be perfect for Italy. Why don't you come over? I had tried Paris first, and it was all right. But, you know, um, yeah, France just wasn't, I really loved, fell in love with Italy. So I went to Italy and that was really how it happened. I um, I learned that there were different markets, there were different types, different looks. And then I learned that there were different ways of modeling. There was catalog modeling, there was runway modeling, there was editorial modeling, there was beauty, which meant, you know, the cosmetic contracts. It meant, um, it meant um, you know, the cover girls and all of those sorts of things. I was one of the first girls that was able to transverse the entire uh, because it was very it was very um fractioned at the time. I mean it was very rare to see a runway girl on a cover or a, an editorial model on in catalog. It was just not done at the time. Um uh, but the I think the the the, uh, the 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 industry as a whole was starting to soften on that a little bit and I hit just at the right time. So I was able to do all of all of them differently. So let me tell you this story. You know, you're gonna you're gonna love this one. Okay, so I go to I go to France first, and I go to Paris. But I still had a little baby fat on. You know, I call it baby fat. It really wasn't. But anyway, I was homesick. I was terribly homesick. And you know, here you are as a young girl thrust into the world, and you're scared, and you don't speak the language, and the French aren't necessarily the friendliest on the planet. And so, just <laughs> <laughs> say that I didn't. I really didn't just say that. So anyway, I went home. I was in France for about 10 months and I went back home. And what did that mean? I went back to New York City and went to a temporary uh, secretary agency. And they put, guess where they put me? At Revlon Corporate. So now here I go up to the 50th floor, Revlon Corporate. And as I'm sitting at this desk outside of a corporate, I don't remember who I was helping out. I was secretary and I didn't really have much to do. But I'm looking around the walls, Jeff, at all of these spectacular supermodels of the time. And they're all posing and they're glamorous and they're gorgeous. And I am so annoyed and angry with myself because I went, you blew it. You blew it. You had your chance. You blew it. And then I thought to myself, well, what, you know, what if I didn't blow it? What if I stayed here long enough to make enough money? to get another plane ticket over to Europe. And this time I'll go over. I'm ready now. I've, you know, thinned out a little bit. That's for another chapter. Um, and, and then it just, the timing would happen that this agent from Milan came in and I went back and within the year and a half, I was doing campaigns for Revlon. <laughs> okay. So that jump, was it, yeah. was it, that you really did get it, you were on the inside and you're able to make it happen, or was it luck? Was there an element of luck? Yes. 
or, or was it a mixture of? How, how, how did it actually happen? I think I'm going to go with a mixture. And I'm going to go with a mixture because, yes, it was definitely luck and timing and the universe was on my side. But remember, all of the things I was putting out to the universe, all of that thought, all of that energy, all of that intent and that motivation was responded to in kind. Right. And I'm, 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 I'm going to hold you right there because I can't let this go. Okay. Okay. So previously, when, wasn't you, ready. when you were younger, yeah, you wasn't ready. And you wanted to be the supermodel, but you never believed you could be. So now your thought processes have changed. You were putting stuff out to the universe. So what does that mean exactly? What, what was your state of mind? What were you thinking? And how were you putting out there to the universe? Well, I think what, what, you know, what was happening in the earlier years was that I was comparing myself to what I, I felt, you know, uh, the norm was. And so I was taking a look at, you know, the Sears catalogs and the other girls that were modeling. And I just didn't feel as though I, you know, I had anything to offer. I wasn't looking like them. I wasn't exactly like them. I wasn't like the blonde, blue eyed, mini skirt, beach jumping, frolicking. It wasn't my look. And I didn't realize you know, I was too young to understand that there's a whole other way, really, that you could be, you could look, you, and there's a, there's a niche, there's a place for you, there's a niche for you. Um, and then I tried in Paris, and I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready. I, I, I really was, I was homesick. My family was also going through, my parents were divorcing, you know, it was a very tumultuous time in the family. And I, I think that also kind of worked its way because I'm the oldest, so I'm you know, the caretaker. And so I felt a little bit of guilt also being away and not being at home um, in, the, in, that, in those beginning years. But then when I, you know, I went home, went to Revlon, saw that, I, mm, okay, mom's good. My sister's good. I can go. I'm fine. Everything's calmed down. I can leave. And then I was really ready. So the answer to the question is, yes, it's luck and it was timing, but it was also a thought process that I had to go through in order order to give myself permission. And while that was happening, there was a little bit, I was also ready, wasn't, I was old enough not to be homesick anymore. And, um, you know, and I was, I had, you know, physically thinned out just a tad. And I was really, I was ready on all fronts. Okay. So getting ready to be the supermodel, it happens. So what's it like being a supermodel? <laughs> well, it doesn't start out that way, <laughs> you know, um, and, and, and you're saying, what were the difficulties? Well, again, we didn't have internet and we didn't have, you know, today models are sold on websites, basically, you know, mm -hmm. the agencies have websites, go take a look at this girl, she, you know, here's the link and that sort of thing. Back in the day, we had, you know, we were what they call schlepping. I mean, we were <laughs> in all days, all weather, all, you know, hot, cold, rain, snow, um, you know, we were we were putting on our wellies, I think you call them, and we were hitting the streets uh, with our portfolios under under hand or under arm and with maps in our our hands as we were trying to figure out the roads in the streets and then the metro as we were trying to figure out, you know, all of that as well in a country where you really don't speak the language. Thank goodness, you know, many Italians do speak English and they were very kind, but 
you know, it was, it was, it was, they were full on days of going to three, three, four, five photographers, going to see the magazines. And, and, um, and so that was the, the difficult part. Once, you know, you start to get booked and then I was able to start walking the runways. Well, the runways were quite easy because you have a whole room full of people that see you and you don't have to go see. So things started to snowball a little bit and I was able to, um, to work and work really well. And, and I loved what I was doing. It was, it, that was the other thing is I really, really loved what I was doing. And I learned so much about the technicalities of modeling. It's not just throw on an outfit and stand in front of a camera. There's lighting and there's angles and there are props and there are different, you know, different uh, uh, textures to different fabrics and they all move differently. And, you know, you know, I was in the beginning, obviously it was the photographer directing me. Um, once you become really, really good at your, it's a craft, you are able to know exactly what you're supposed to do the minute you hit the set, uh, and he follows you. So, um, it becomes, it's quite, it's quite a different feeling and quite a different aspect. Same thing on the runway. I mean, my knees were knocking the first couple of times. I mean, oh, really wobbly legs when I was first starting out on the runway. Um, but like anything else, you know, you get better at practice and then it's just like, it's so much fun. You, you know, people say, often say to you, you know, one of the things I'm sure you've heard it many times, what would you do in life, even if you had to do it for free? You know, even if you weren't getting paid and for sure, you know, the creative end of of business is what I love the most. It's what we're doing right now. It's on the runway. It's in front of the cameras. It's interviewing people. Um, but if you ask me to rectify a checkbook or to read a contract or all the administrative end of business, it's not my it's just not my thing, you know. Yeah, we, we all have our thing. One of my things is photography, actually, and when I used to photograph models, you could really tell the difference when a professional model says, hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. So what do you want today? And they would just bang, do it. And rapport would be instant. And it is a craft. It is a skill. And I'll tell you why, Jeff, because we walk into different studios every day. And we walk in, or I, when I was modeling, I would walk into a different photographer, different makeup artist, different stylist, different assistants, different, everybody was different. And so that means you now you're dealing for the full day, most likely you're dealing with five or six different personalities um, and everything has to go off well. And, you know, the first, the other first thing you, you know, you, you leave all of your ego at the door, uh, you know, forget about being a diva because, you know, uh, I know there are quite a few of these days we didn't really do that very much because if that happened you just wouldn't get rebooked and uh, and i really enjoyed meeting the people and working well with them and you know i get cranky and tired sometimes there was one shoot i did in france it was normandy beach it was in january and i was in a i was in one piece bathing suit and it was for and it was for this like cellulite cream or some damn thing you know of course you're shooting in january <laughs> Right, because the ad is coming out in June or May, you know, for the summer. And I was in the, I think it was an ocean. I guess it was an ocean off of Normandy right there. I can't even remember the name. Uh, what's the name the, 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 there? Um, uh, the, the water off of Normandy Beach. It's the North exactly. Sea and it's freezing cold. Sea. Yeah. North Sea, January. Thank you for that. Freezing yeah. cold. Yeah, the English and there Channel. Were, there were waves. Oh, there were waves. So yeah. they kept, you know, and I was 
freezing, if not frozen by the end of that. Of course, after that, I wound up in bed for two weeks sick. Um, but these are the kinds of things that people you know, don't see behind the scenes, right? Um, I think I had just gotten to Italy when they had me, you know, pull like a pregnant woman thing, you know. Uh, and I guess that was for like another, you know, stretch cream or some darn thing. But um, it's very interesting. It's an interesting craft. And it's 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 um, and I loved it. I absolutely just like I loved acting. I really loved that. But I love this more. I loved the the live aspect of, of you know, the live television in later years. Okay. Even more. So modeling, how old were you when you decided that's it? I've done enough now. Time to move on. Well, I didn't stay in long. I stayed in about five, six years because now remember, I started basically at 24. So, uh, and I told you I was, you know, by t TV, I started when about 30. So yeah. I stayed in just long enough to say, okay, you know, we're good. Five, six years. And I really made it a very intense five, six years. I was all over the world and uh, on all the different runways from New York to Paris to London. I did, we did something at Prince Albert Hall. I remember, um, is it Prince Albert Hall? Yeah. Yeah, we did something there, um, and and we came and flew in. It was you know we just were everywhere. I'm you know uh, us girls, and so um, that happened. And then I really just you know I said you know what it's time. And actually, it was John Franco Ferre that said to me, um, and we were very close, really, really, really good buddies. And he said to me, "I'm not going to be booking you anymore." And I was devastated. I was devastated. And uh, why not? He said because you're you're, you're he said to me because you're a star you're a star. So go, so go shine your light. And I, and I, and he was one who gave me that gentle nudge because I tend to get stuck. I, I'll, I'll get stuck because moving on, you know, can be very, very daunting and quite scary. And obviously we have fear of the unknown and oh my goodness, what am I going to do after I mod? I didn't know I was going to be working on television. I had no clue. I knew I wanted to, but I didn't know the first steps about it. So what was happening is as a model, I was being booked as a guest. And of course, you know, I, they put me on, they put me on one of these, you know, there's electric bulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was the only guest in the whole season that didn't fall off. Wow. And I, and I, and I love having a good time wherever I go and I love making people laugh. And so I think they might have seen, you know, this vivacious, vivacious young girl who didn't fall off the bowl and let's book her, let's get her on, you know, for the next. And I worked uh, that show for two years, <clears throat> the next show, every Saturday and every Sunday for the next two years, I was on that. Show. And then of course there were many other shows that, that followed, but I don't think I have anything around from then. Um, yeah, there's pictures everywhere, but yeah, uh, it's just, yeah, it was good fun. Good fun. Awesome. Isn't it wonderful when someone else you bump into in your life recognizes the person you can be and you don't see it yourself? So here you are yeah. not knowing that it's the end of your modeling career and it takes someone else to mm -hmm. say, Clarissa, you're mm -hmm. better than this. So yeah. th they are wonderful moments yeah. in life. They are. So what happened? Yeah. You go. You go into a and new. Remember, you know, we had we had no tether back home. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. There was nothing. So once you were out, you were out. Certainly, my father wasn't in my life anymore. My mother and I, you know, we were not very much in close contact. So you're out there making these decisions on your own. There, there's no focus group. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's no focus group when you're at. You're just kind of, you know, and you make the, and he really, it broke my heart, broke my heart when he said that. And and then it, it all became very, very clear. Um, sorry, what was your question? I'm yes. sorry. Yes. So what, what happened then? What did you do? Cried. And, uh, and once I... <laughs> And once I got done, you know, feeling sorry for myself, I, I thought to myself, well, you know, what if he's got something there? I mean, maybe he does see something in me that I don't see. And it's funny that it that is exactly what the impetus was for me to write my book. And I know we'll talk about that in a minute, but people say, why did you write the book? And the book is really because we, I, ha- I have a perception of you that you may not have. And I see so much more in you, and I, you general, um, that, you know, I see so much more in you than what you are living. And I just want to shake you. I yeah. just want to shake you. Know? And, and, and that was one of the, the main, that is one of the main reasons uh, I wrote the book is because I just, uh, you know, we're not on this planet for real long. It really is quite a flash if you think about it in the grand scheme of things and and the time that we have is the time that we have and we need to you know put on our big girl britches put on our you know big boy pants and get on with things and um and life can be really scary life can be very very scary especially when you're out there doing it alone and you don't have a support system which is why i also speak very very much to finding your your, your perfect support system. You know, we were born into a family and we thank everybody for everything. I'll be home for Christmas dinner and we'll see you. I love you. I'll call you every week, but I, I, you know, you don't choose your family and therefore not, not everyone is born into, you know, such happy places to be and to live and to grow up. Um, so many people are, but lots aren't. So these are a couple of the main reasons why, I wanted to um, to write the book, but I digress. Yeah, we're going to come on to both of those things. So the the reason for writing the book and the support group, we'll come on to those. Both yeah. important. But your, model, your modeling career ends. You cry. Yes. You have to carve out a new career. So which career yeah. which career was this one? What did you do well, now? Just like, just like the Revlon thing that I was telling you about, right? I'm sitting around looking at all these girls, and the next thing you know, boom, the Italian guy shows up at my agency and says, come to Milan. Okay, I'll do that. And I did all the work I was supposed to do, and I was professional, and I was on a time in my appointments, and I had a smile on my face, and I was eager to work, and boom. A year and a half later, you know, here I am now on on the Revlon campaigns. Not only there were other, there were other campaigns too. <laughs> <laughs> but the Revlon was the one that was the breakthrough for me. That was so interesting, and th- that story. But it's it's kind of the same thing here. And that was somebody from TV called me. They had seen me because I now I've got this parlay from Italy. I'm on some of the shows as a guest. I go on to this thing. I don't fall off the bull. And I made a big deal about it. Oh, I jumped off that bull and I milked every minute of that applause. I could get. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. The whole studio went crazy with applause because I didn't fall off. Look at me. Yeah. And so it was a fun moment. And I, and I and I really I really enjoy and the and the director of that show and the and the uh, presenter of that show they were actually husband and wife, and they said we want her we're going to book her for the next our next show as a permanent guest 
And that was really, again, um, I wanted it so bad. I just wanted to be on television again universe. How can I get on TV? How can I get on TV? How can I, I really want to be on TV. I really want to be on TV doing what? I don't know. I just want to be on TV. And here it was, right? So, you know, comedy was again, right. Kind of a little bit up my alley because, you know, of course I was all dolled up, but we had different comics that would be in the field bringing back news. So we had the guy that imitated Maradona and we had the guy that, imita- you know, all the imitations. And the, so they were all imitators and they were coming back to, you know, I would hand off the news and they would do their thing. And then it would come back to me from the news desk. And we had a blast. And um, and that's how that started. So for years, I was working on Italian television. Then I was working in Italian television when I started my own production company. So, yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> for people listening, yeah. they're probably thinking, what's the difference then between a producer and a director? Mm-hmm. So well, I, produce- I'll, I'll hand that one back to you. Absolutely. The producer is is the usually they have they're the ones that come up with the idea or they are handed an idea. And then it is up to them to produce the show, meaning they have to find the director. They have to find the makeup people. They have to find the hair, the hair guy. They have to find the nuts and bolts guys that are going to build the stage. They pull together the lighting people, the sound people. They go out and they find the teams of people, pull them together and make sure that a show is born. Um, That is basically what a producer does a director is direct works directly with the producer but he is in the hierarchy of things is really under the producer but the producer and he are you know they pretend to be best friends and um, (laughs) and the director is the one that actually directs and says okay producer this is the you know these are the hair makeup people i want to you know i would really like okay the producer goes and gets them these is the lighting guy i love working with okay producer goes and gets them and then he works out he works on all the, the producer or she also works on all of the pricing which is a lot of times you'll hear about an executive producer an executive producer also goes out and finds monies and they also, you know, they're they're really more about the administrative end, the the monies, the tallies, the you know, the accounts, the accounting systems, and that sort of thing. So the producer is, you know, is um, is Jesus, and everybody else are disciples. Okay, I get that. All right then. So you were the first American to present Russian TV Kremlin. at the Kremlin. How yeah. did that happen? Well, okay, so back to fashion, where there was a, a there's a, um, a stylist in Italy called Laura Biagiotti, and she had just done her show, I think she had just done a show in China, and she came back and they, you know, she was getting involved now with doing her show in Russia. I was already working on, t- I had already, I had many times been on her runway, but I was also now working on Italian television. And what would happen there is because I was fluent in Italian and obviously uh, American, so English speaking, they would bring me along to present and translate. So as the show was going on, I was bringing in, I was trans either translating for someone who was standing next to me, like Laura herself, right? She would say, buongiorno a tutti, che piacere essere qui. And I'd say, Laura says, hello everyone, it's such a pleasure to be here. And then the, the t- Russian chick next to me would say it in Russian. So that's how, and it went out live, which was the coolest darn thing on the planet. My grandfather 
father was very worried, I must say, because he thought that, you know, communist state children and that I would never make it home. But thank God I'm here to tell the story. But that's how that works. So I was able to be at the Kremlin on live television. And I will tell you, the wall fell in November of 89. Mm-hmm. I was at the Kremlin in January of 90. That's how quick it happened. Wow. Within two months. Within the two months, I was already on stage at the Kremlin, television cameras, live television cameras pointed straight at us, and we did what we had to do. The other really fun fun facts about Russia, I know it's changed a lot, but back in 1990, it was very cold, you know, sorry, it was cold, really cold. And um, we were in this hotel, um, cold and dark and dank and Russian 90s Russia. And to make a phone call, you had to go down to the front desk, stand in line for an hour and a half. You finally got to speak to someone uh, who spoke English and you said, I need to make a phone call to Italy. Fantastic. Come back two days from now. (laughs) True story. After wasting an hour and a half. (laughs) True story. Come back two days from now. We have you reserved. We have reserved your phone call. Your phone call is, will cost this much and you only get 10 minutes. So you go back two days later, you're standing in line waiting. You know, they say, Miss Burt, yes, uh, you know, cabin number two. You've handed them the phone number. They've made that phone number. They pass it to you and you get 10 minutes. That was how it was. It was for, uh, for me as an American, obviously, it was a uh, whole different world. And they were just opening up, Jeff, they were just opening up the very first McDonald's. Wow. Oh my goodness. You should have seen the lines, five miles worth of lines just to get a hamburger, an American hamburger. It was the craziest thing on the planet, but boy, oh boy, did I come back with a whole bunch of really cool Russian watches that I bought on the sport on the streets. I still have those <laughs> Russian watches. Awesome. I still have some of them. Yeah. Well, as you say, the Berlin Wall was waiting to come down a long time. And when it came down, it was like a, a tsunami washing through. So yeah. lots and lots of stuff happened. Yeah. So we do that. But then we have a couple of serious moments in your life. Private hmm. audiences with Pope John Paul II yeah. honoring yeah. your social work. Okay, time to get serious now. So tell me a little about your social work and not just one private audience, but two. How did you manage this? (laughs) Uh, Well, I never got married and never had children, which left me, you know, as working on television and being having celebrity status, if you will, to be asked quite frequently if I would show up for different events uh, all over Italy. And, you know, Italy's rather long and wide. So sometimes it was quite quite a bit of a distance um, to to go to be able to be at these events. And and they were for charity. Mm -hmm. And so I would go. Um, The only thing I ever asked for was either, you know, obviously a driver to take me and bring me home and, you know, and if, you know, to get me to the airport, if I had to fly and obviously, you know, all of that, I said, I don't want money. I don't want a plaque. Don't give me any darn trophy. And please, I don't want flowers. Take that because they would do, I have more. Oh gosh. And so I would say, please don't buy it. I don't want that stuff. Put that stuff toward the charity that I'm coming there for. You know that's money. Please don't do that. And but they did, and um, and I'd thank them, and I'd be a little disappointed. But you know it's protocol, I guess, and it's what they do, and you have to respect that. And I did, 
And, uh, and that's kind of how that all started was, and I never said no to anyone. Um, and this is how I would usually fill up most of my weekends. Um, and I'd go and make, you know, it's everybody from, you know, the police academy to, you know, dogs and cats of Italy, you know, that sort of thing. I'd go for <laughs> anybody that asked, I would go. And then they'd hand me the flowers and I would invariably, you know, give the flowers to my driver, who was a guy and say, hey, listen, you know, we talk, I mean, we knew each other, you know, really well by the time the trip was over. And so I knew if he was married or if he had a girlfriend or whatever. And I said, here, you know, take these home to your wife uh, or take these home to your girlfriend. Because I was so blessed and so lucky. I mean, I was getting flowers all the time for all kinds of things. Um, and I and I just, you know, wanted to give that to them. So that's kind of where that started. And, uh, and you know, I'm right there in Rome because so the Pope and I were kind of like homies. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think... You know, uh, it was the people, it was actually, it was, it was World Volunteer Day. And um, uh, in, for the two consecutive years, it was uh, World World Volunteer Day. If, yeah. And so I did a lot of volunteering. I did a lot of social work and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, and I was one of, I think we were, I was like one of 12, they choose, choose like 12 people for the private audience. And, uh, and yeah, there, so there I was. Did you see the picture of it? It's in the front room. Is it here? Oh, yeah. there it is. Do you see it? Oh yeah, I see that. So I'll I'll get that put on the website so people listening is. can see it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll exactly. get we'll get a copy of that. Yeah. So twelve people get chosen. Yes. Why you? you no, know, it's a really great question. Um I knew there's another thing. I just, you know, I just wanted to meet him and I just put it out, put it out, put it out, put it out, and boom. The next thing you know, I come across a woman who's working in television and she's doing something for, it was Our Lady of Lords and another one of the the, uh, the uh, Virgin Mary's apparitions, which was Our Lady, not Our, La- Our Lady of Lords. And then there was another one, I can't remember, in Europe somewhere. I can't remember where we went. Can't remember where that was. And so I met her there as we were going to, you know, to the to the grottos and, and that sort of thing. And that was really more for the fun of it and a little bit of touristy things. And, you know, that. and she was working on television and it was uh, the Catholic television. And so we got to chatting and I think she put in a good word for me at the Vatican. And that's how that happened. OK, yeah. so you're about to go in to meet Pope John Paul II. What's the protocol? What happened? And how did your meeting with him go? Well, well the protocol is you walk into the, the Grand Hall. Oh, God, well, you know, I can't remember that. I never remember the name. The, what's the name of the, It's the Sala something at the Vatican. Huge, you know, the huge uh, um, theater um, you've seen a million times in pictures. Uh, and we were all put into the front row. And, you know, he comes out and we all, well, you all stand. And, you know, then somebody gets up and talks. And then, you know, talk about World Volunteer Day. And, um, you know, and, and then we all, the 12 of us were escorted up um, to one at a time up to the Pope. Um, and we knelt in front of him. And he was really quite aged at the time. He was v- rather old. Um, and so, I mean, I'm talking, I'm pretty sure I'm talking about 2003, 2004, and he passed in April, 2005. So he was really close to the end. Um, but it was still a great, great honor nonetheless. And certainly you have to go, I mean, you really have to go through a whole bunch of protocol before you're brought in front of the Pope. I mean, they do their their due diligence. The same way when I, I opened um, uh, Disney for Rye, for the Rye Television, I opened Disney in Paris. 
1995 or six, whenever Disney opened there, Disney doesn't, you know, Disney does their due diligence also before you're, you know, you are <laughs> ingratiated with their stage. So, um, you know, being a good girl pays off. And here's my. <laughs> your wand, your, your magic fairy wand. <laughs> <laughs> um, Helps you, know, you to focus. You helps me to focus. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really always goes back to, I think, and when I talk about taking the high road, when we talk about my book, it's, you know, living in honesty, integrity, in gratitude, and with honor. And if you can bring those four things to the table, and I'm not perfect, and God knows I get it wrong at times, but it is my intent to be a better person tomorrow than I am today and to constantly uh, be doing the right thing. And, you know, I, it is what it is. And it, that doesn't make me, again, doesn't make me perfect. And it's certainly, you know, uh, it, it's just something, these are the values that I, I feel are, for me are very important to live by. And it oozes from you. More about that later. So you're an ambassador to the United States. So some more work here. You're working and help women in Africa to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011. Yes. Yeah, really cool stuff. So I was called, I was living back in the United States at this point, and I was called by an, uh, an organization in Italy, and they said, Clarissa, you know, we're doing a campaign, it's called Walking Africa. Now, I had been to Africa quite a few times, because it's really in close proximity, obviously, to Italy, and CNN International in Italy gave a lot of African news. So I, I was able to see firsthand the plight of the of African women in some of the, you know, the poor countries. Um, and it was, you know, it was, again, you talk about, uh, you talk about culture shocks. I mean, you talk about gratitude, holy cow. And the, the premise behind this campaign was how far African women have to walk to get clean water. It was really the basis, but I mean, we could, it could have been the genocides, it could have been, you know, the, uh, the uh, uh, feminicidio, uh, uh, fe feminicide, I believe is what it is with the, with the um, mutilation, the mutilation, mm -hmm. general yep. mutilation, um, you know, AIDS uh, in Africa. I mean, let's just go down the list of all of the different, you know, the plight of Africa, if you will. And so when I was called, I said, absolutely, you know, no problem at all. What do you need? And I did my best to, you know, here in the United States um, to spread the word about what was happening. And these were early days. I mean, these are early days once I had moved back and uh, I put out as much as I possibly could. And again, even then, we're talking about 2001 so there wasn't really i wasn't really as set up with social media and newsletters and all of that at the time but i did what i could and i flew to new york city uh there was an event going on where gail king was there and gail king is oprah winfrey's best friend got some information to her and um anyway long story short is we had to wait a while to get the news and i called it was coming up on october when we knew we were going to find out who was going to win the nobel peace prize and I called this organization. I said, guys, do we have any news? What's happening? I, I'm, I'm just dying to know. And they said, well, of course, Claire, so we don't have any news yet. But nah, let me just share this with you, the guy says. He goes, you know, he's got this really downtrodden tone to his voice. And he says, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we are up against 211 other candidates for this Nobel Peace Prize. 
And I'll tell you, Jeff, my heart didn't skip a beat, nor did my stomach sink. I or my heart sank. I just, I just, you know, Oprah says, you know, like you know, like you know, like you know, and I knew it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I, knew it. I yeah. just knew. I don't know how. And I went. I'm not worried about it, but okay, let's talk again next week because it was a week out from from declaration date. And in the meantime, I had gone to Belgium and we went to European Parliament and I met the caravan of beautiful African women. And I was able to, you know, speak at, at European Parliament, meet these lovely ladies and listen to their stories. And and I kind of felt like, wow, like, what am I even doing here? I mean, these women really have stories to tell and they really have boots on the ground and they're really in the trenches and and then you know anyway let's just say that it was one of my really apart from the pope this was one of my true crowning moments when we found out that the african women did win the nobel peace prize there were three women uh i believe two from libya i can i have the i have the information somewhere because there i unfortunately i'm just not good with names and i'd have to read them but yes the african women did win the nobel peace prize that year and i was really an ambassador just the ambassador to the united states and of course i went to speak at european parliament but you know, I, 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 it's a crowning moment for me, and it was a great honor for me. I'm but- sure. Um, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. So, as well as all the amazing success you've had, you're also a loving and thoughtful lady who likes to give back. And you know that that came to me, came across to me very, very early on, within two minutes of us talking. So, um, really? yeah, 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 I did. You did. Because to be honest, um, you could be, could be based on, on paper. You listen to the introduction today and you think, oh, wow, is she going to be a diva? What, what is this person going to be like? But I can say genuinely, you're one of the loveliest people I've ever met. And the kindness. That's very yeah, nice. Thank well, you. well, you are, and I think that comes across in the show too. It's wonderful to give back. It so, is. right, let's move forward then, because all of this comes together now when you write a book, and which was published in 2021. It is called the Self-Esteem Regime. So, I'm going to ask you the question that other people ask you, plus two more. So, first one, why did you write it? You've alluded to it. Who is it for? And what will they gain from it? Well, it's, it's, it's a book that I've been wanting to write for a lot of years. And there's a gentleman by the name of Gary Krebs who actually wrote the words that I asked him to write because I'm, I'm never going to sit down and write a book. It's just not in me. But it was something I've been wanting to do for a while. And I, would, I did a keynote speech. And as I was coming down off the stage, he was standing there. He said, I have to write your book. And I went, oh, okay, great. Let's do this. We worked on it for a little while, and then we were picked up by a publisher in New York City, uh, Roman and Littlefield, just as COVID, right after COVID hit. And that was when I, I had the first inkling, Jeff, that we were on something. And I think that the Roman and Littlefield was, was able to see a, a tad into the future and know that this pandemic was going to be destabilizing for many. I, I know I'm getting ahead of myself, and I'll get back to the original question. It was going to be destabilizing for the world. And it was, and and it and it changed our lives in in many, for many in drastic ways. 
And so who is it? Why did I write it? I wrote it because I wanted, as I said before, I wanted people to be able to understand that just like with a pandemic, life is life. It's going to trigger you. You never know what to expect, but here's what you can do is you can have the tools in the shed that you need to have at any given time. When I was young, when we were young, let me bring you in on the equation, Jeff, because we're basically <laughs> the same age. Uh, and, um, yeah, I think I'm yeah you, you dragged me in, girl. You dragged me in. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we had bookstores. I know you still have, you know, you've got Blackwell's and you've got all your lovely bookstores, uh, um, uh, Smith and Blackwell Smith. And who else do you have? Uh, Waterstones, I think, oh, is yeah, a popular I one. Yeah. I was, just in touch with, I was just in touch with all of them because I wanted to see if my book was being sold in the stores. Um, anyway, um, so, uh, uh, um, uh, I forget what exactly what I was saying, but I, uh, as I was young and I was, we were going through the bookstores when the United States still had bookstores because we no longer have Walden Books, we no longer have Borders, but we do have Barnes and Noble. And I'm very proud to say my book is in Barnes and Noble, which is another crowning moment for me. But the only thing that I, I was able, we didn't have internet, we had no cell phone, we, we didn't know how meet up groups, we didn't have all of that. We had the bookstores and the bookstore had something called the self-help section, which was really teeny meeny. I mean, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of books on there. It was teeny, it was teeny weeny. And I got great solace from reading books from the self-help section. Today, if you walk into Barnes and Noble, you will see that there are just rows upon rows of what they now call personal development. So, you know, the bookstores are only having books in the stores that are selling. And what does that tell us? It tells us that we are in need, that we are constantly, you know, in, in question. We question ourselves. We question life. We question our direction. We need the help. We need the strength. We need the solace. We need the assistance. We need the support. And and that's another main reason why I wrote the book. Uh, again, my perception of, yeah, I saw my mother, a beautiful woman who never wanted to have her picture taken. And she always thought that she was, a, a, you know, so, so what did I do? I went and I modeled. <laughs> my father used to say, my father used to say, Oh, I can't, you know, my father, remember they're Irish and they're, you know, yeah. from Philadelphia. I was like, oh, those, you know, those Italians, those Dagos, those Wops, those, yeah. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second. I'm going to go live in Italy, you know. So all <laughs> the things that we are taught, right, from, 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 from our, the familiar tribe, maybe things that we would want to question. The same thing with our educative process, the same thing with our friends, sometimes even the same thing with our faith. You know, I I'm, was born a Catholic. And I'm kind of scratching my head still this day going, well, why can't women be priests? You know, why can't? <laughs> so, look, I, I, this is not about politics, nor is it about religion, but it is about, you know, having the strength and the conviction to walk your path and what's right for you, what serves you, and how you might be able to be in service of others. And so there were so many driving factors. But, you know, again, my mother not quite, you know, the, 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 the picture of self-esteem. My grandmother, beautiful lady, decides she's got to lose weight. No, nobody ever had to lose weight in my family, by the way, nobody. So she's got to lose weight. She's like 44 years old. She takes two diet pills. She chokes on them, perforates her esophagus, and spends an execute in the hospital. Now, oh. I'm looking at my grandmother, and I'm thinking, well, that's 
interesting. That's, you know, and I'm perceiving these women as beautiful and talented and intelligent. My mother went to West Catholic, uh, West Catholic girls, all girls, high school, 800 girls. She was on the Dean's list all four years and she was salutarian, not valedictorian, but she was salutarian, which is number two of 800 girls. Brilliant woman, but she didn't see her, her worth. Couldn't see it. And if I showed you a picture of my mother when she was younger, she was gorgeous, gorgeous. So, you know, I, 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 I look at then I'm, I have the luck to be able to work with 1% of the most gorgeous women on the face of the planet. Come on. The supermodels, you know, they're, they're lovely looking creatures, lovely looking creatures. And I'm seeing toxic relationships and drug abuse, not all, but some. And I'm thinking to myself, well, geez, that's, you're so lucky. Like, why don't you see what I see? And I don't mean that to sound, you know, uh, 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 conceited or overbearing or, you know, weird in any way. It, 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 I get that it's your life and you're going to live it the way, but I, I think you could be, you know, with just a few tools, maybe we could get rid of the alcohol and the drugs and the toxic boyfriends and the abusers and the because a lot of people only know what they were taught. And to learn something different is a very scary place to be. Why? Because a lot of the times as we're, as, you know, we talk about, the, we, we often hear about the going the extra mile. Yeah. An extra mile, Jeff, is so long and so hard and so scary and so dark and so blustery. And sometimes we don't have the umbrella or the wellies or the raincoat. And they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's just a really hard place to be. And you're going to be doing this alone, by the way, because there's nobody walking down holding your hand with you. So, you know, a lot of the work, that, and, I, and by the way, it's called a regime for, for a reason. And I understand that in Europe, that has a connotation that is not always of the happiest, but regime is really just an organized way of doing things. So the book is broken down into 12 different chapters. Each chapter begins with a re-word, starting with release. We go in then to rebuild, after which we go into responsibility. Where's the responsibility that you are taking in your life and where are you shirking responsibility. You know, there are all those, all those kind of things. Are, well, I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable. I told you, I'm uncomfortable with the, the administrative end of business. I don't want to know from it, but I have to because I'm running a business. So where are the, uh, there's a, a, something in here uh, uh, that I love. The um, chapter is reinvent. I don't know about you, but I know about me and I know how many times I've had to reinvent in my lifetime. Sure. You know, when I was younger, um, my, I'd left school and my parents they had a job for life or my dad had a job for life mm-hmm. he was then uh, made redundant at 58 years old yeah. and he screwed he didn't know what to do and he never worked again and i've had five career changes not not job changes yeah. whole new career changes so and you're wildly successful you were wildly successful at every one of them now you tell me why that is I'm going to turn it around on you a minute. <laughs> this is, I, 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 I'm used to asking the question. <laughs> I have a, have a deal for you, Clarissa. I'll come on your show and we'll talk okay. about that. This time, it's all about you. Darn it, I thought I had him. I thought I had him, darn it. <laughs> okay, so the book, let me just remind our listeners here. It's called The Self 
esteem regime. So what's its purpose? You know, here's the deal. Uh, Self-esteem doesn't discriminate. And it's everybody and everything. And you never take a test and get 100% and you never have to think about it again. Because as I said before, life is going to trigger you. And this is, you know, when I was dropping the book in Italy in uh, November and December, every event that I went to, every thing that was organized for me, honestly, and this is the truth, as true as I sit here, half of the room was men. Half of the people in the room were men. And I knew when I had, when I first got the cover of this book back, you'll see that it's three iterations of blue. Yeah, yep. it was it was pink, orange, and yellow. Now, pink, orange, and yellow would have jumped off the you know this the the, the 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 shelves at the bookstore, and it would have been a happier looking book for women. And the only question, yes, the only thing, and I and I I said please to my literary agent Gary, please ask them if they will change it to just three iterations of blue. I want men to be able to pick up this book and they do and they have and they do the work and they love it. And it, I have it on social media that are, you know, guys saying, just write Clarissa's book. I can't, you know, it is so gratifying for me to know that, you know, we don't forget men, 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 men have just as many issues and problems and self-esteem, you know, quirks as um, anyone more. else. You, you know, what, yeah. one of the biggest yes. killers, men, Suicide. Yes, it's, we know. It, it, it's tragic. So com, coming back to your book then. So typically, who would buy it and why? Why would they think they need this book? And then what, what benefit do they get from it? How do well, they change? Well, you know, the deal is everybody, I would like to think that, you know, if you're stuck and it's hurting and something isn't going right, you, you know, it's up to you to change it. Um, I would like also to think that most people really would like to live in a, hap in a happier way, be a better person tomorrow than you are today, have the tools in the in the shed that you need because life is going to trigger you, as I've said before. There's just no way around that. Um, I had a 2002, uh, sorry, a 2022 that was probably one of the worst years of my life. And here I was, my book was just dropping and I'm running, supposed to be running all over the world, telling everybody about how to live in happy, healthy self-esteem. And I did for the most part, but that was in between getting COVID, being in the hospital twice, losing my entire Google Drive, breaking up a, a, a love relationship, who, by the way, was somebody from uh, London. Um, <laughs> um, uh, then I, uh, so I lost my entire Google Drive. Then I got sick with food poisoning. And then my mother was in a horrific car accident in August. So 2022 was the worst year for me to drop a book. But I still did over 150 podcasts. And I still was at all over the country with the self-esteem regime because it's a it, the it's a look the book for me is a manual it's a mission and it's a movement this isn't just a book that i wrote and you know look we all know we write books we're not going to see money for writing a book i mean you know it's you know, not the kind of you, you'll see something but it's not what we do in order to it's not what we do in order to pay the bills really it just isn't most of us right but it really is for me a mission and a movement and especially now after COVID, who can it benefit? Everyone, men, women, uh, uh, children, uh, teenagers, um, uh, the elderly, empty nesters, people that have just been told they are ill, that they are sick, that they, you know, for whatever reasons. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that life will hit you and you're not going to feel so good about yourself. Think about anyone that's just been told they've got cancer. 
that's a that's these are really tough life problems and life issues that if they can if they can get solace and i i invite them to get solace from from reading all of those books that are now in the personal development section because they because and another reason is because a lot of times the people that we know love and trust are so emotionally involved that they may not know exactly what we need you know as if you know they they just don't and so someone reading these kinds of books taking these kinds of courses are are of i believe are of really great great uh support all, all day every day okay i'm going to rewind again because when you said 2022, you know, Jeff, that was my worst year. I had COVID. I had this. I had that. My mom was in a bad accident. I mm -hmm. lost my Google Drive. Da 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 yes. da 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 da. Yep. Okay. Now here's the difference yep. between you and other people who are not maybe as successful as they would like to be. We've all heard the term resilience, right? You you mentioned this earlier, and resilience is about getting through tough times like you did in 2022. You did get through tough times, mm -hmm. but you have what I call post-traumatic growth. So resilience. Thank God for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 and here's the difference. It's when resilience is, okay, I'm doing okay. Now I get hit. And resilience is, well, look at me, I can get through that and I can stand up again. What you have is post-traumatic stroke uh, growth. In that, mm -hmm. things are okay, you get hits. Look at me, I'm okay again, and let me tell you, bam, I'm going to do something else instead. Whether that be, and it was those hard times that pushed you on even further despite what had happened in your world. Well, you know, don't forget, first I cried. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're allowed. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to rewind. Yeah, I keep rewinding. Yeah, but first you cry, right? You, you, yeah, know, you yeah. feel sorry you do your thing because it's kind of what it, but you know, you've got three choices, uh, Jeff, and that is you either give up, you give in, or you give it all you got. Yeah. You know, there's really it. There's not, there's not much else in life. And, you know, who do you really want to be? And you know, if you if you make it all about yourself all the time, well, that's kind of a lonely, boring place to be. But if you know, I knew that the motivator for me was this book was going to be able to really help a lot of people, and that it was it was really the one thing. This, believe it or not, wanting to help everyone else was exactly what helped me in 2022 keep my head afloat. Of course, it was the lifesaver that was sent to me, so that I knew. And there were days I I woke up I. I'm telling you, Jeff, it was a very difficult, emotionally very difficult year for me. I mean, can you imagine waking up one day and your entire Google Drive is gone? I don't know what you use, but, you know, Google Drive, gone. Everything, contracts, pictures, videos, all gone, gone, gone. You know, now what? <laughs> so I had to start all over again. And I'm running my mastermind and I'm, you know, and then mom was in the car accident and that took six months. I had to stop everything for six months to take care of my mother. I mean, she was in such a bad way. Um, and, you know, she's only two miles down the road, but there were three phone calls I got that said, Chrissy, I can't breathe because she's got COPD. It's a long story, but, and she hit her chest in the accident and had pneumonia three times. It's a very, very long. And she, then she got COVID. The last six months have been very difficult. 
but there's also priorities. And I knew that, you know, my mother and I, as I had I sort of intimated before, and it's funny how life works again. And it's funny how the universe works when you continually are, are in uh, direct contact, if you will. And you are in direct contact, whether you realize it or not. Mom and I were never really particularly close. I mean, not really. We just really weren't. A million different reasons I won't bore you with. We just weren't. In the last six, seven months, my mother and I have had the relationship that is so loving, so kind, so open. It's like this full circle karmic moment that happened because I had to stop everything and be with her. And the accident meant she had to stop everything and she needed me to be with her. So I know now that when the good Lord does, you know, come and take my mother and the angels, you know, fly away with her, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm it's going to be terrible. It'll be a horrible incident, but in my heart and in my soul, I know that I've done the run right thing. It was the honorable, remember the word, the honorable thing to do. Cause I could have held grudges all my lifetime. I mean, I have a whole list of things I could have been pissed off about, but I didn't. <laughs> you know, I chose, I chose to honor my mother and, and love my mom. And she's kind of pretty cool. So <laughs> it just worked out well. So yeah. who's the book for? The book is for anybody that, um, I'm going to do this for you, Jeff. Just hold on one second. And I think this is, this will answer the question. Okay. I'd like to acknowledge the millions of people all over the world who have been abandoned, abused, beaten, hit, struck, oppressed, depressed, distressed, held back, lied to, cheated on, lost, betrayed, deceived, misled, double-crossed, walked out on, stabbed in the back, sold down the river, stolen from, deserted, discarded, shunned, cast out, dropped, dumped, forgotten, neglected, rejected, and or dejected. You are the sole reason I have written this book. That's me. I'm all of those things. Aren't we all? <laughs> Aren't we all? So back yeah. to my point, when people say, oh, you, you can't say your book is for everybody. The hell I can't. Yeah. It's for everyone yeah. because we have all been there. Clarissa, how do we buy the book? What's the best way to get hold of it? You can find it, well, uh, uh, in the UK. I know it's on Amazon. It's on well, Amazon in basically every country. Yeah, which is really cool. this is just because I'm in the UK. This is going all over the world. All right, so, all over the world. Yeah. Amazon, all over the world. I, I checked it. It's kind of like in Japan and China. It's everywhere. It's so cool. And then here in the United States, we're in, you know, in the Barnes & Noble stores. And then it's also in on Audible and Kindle. Oh, awesome. So you have the audio version as well. And are you the voice? Is it you reading it? Oh, awesome. I went up to I went up uh, two uh, two years ago. I guess it was up to Las Vegas because Roman and Littlefield. You know they didn't have a studio in Phoenix. Okay, whatever. It's fine. Uh, it's a five hour drive. So I went up to and I was in the studio for an entire week, eight hour days for an entire week to read the book for the Audible version. I had a blast. It was great. Yeah. How long is the book altogether? How many hours? How many? Uh, it's 172 pages. Um, but again, it's written, you know, it's again, this is not a read. This is a resource and it's a manual. So you read the first chapter and you do the homework and then there's the clarion call, Clarissa's Corner, affirmations. There's a case study. It's a whole vibe. It's like a whole thing. 
And so you read the chapter, you do the work and, you know, and do the work, just do the work, do the work, do the work, do the work. That That's all I can say. And I promise you that the light at the, t- the end of the tunnel is bigger, better, brighter, bolder than you could have ever imagined. Discover, apply, succeed. Yep. That's what it's about. Okay. Yes. That's the book done then. So then we have another moment of which you are immensely proud. In June of 2022, you were knighted by the Royal Order of Constantine the Great and St. Helen. Yes. Joining the ranks of only 350 dames in the world. So what, what does all this mean, Dame Clarissa? Well, it means that I don't know if I've got... The pin, I've got the cape is over there. The scepter is over there. Uh, it was just another really lovely, unexpected honor. And it's the Royal, Sovereign and Royal Order of Cappadocia. This has just the, the medallion in it. There's a little medallion there. But over there, I've got the badge and uh, other other things. It's the Sovereign and Royal Order of Cappadocia, Constantine the Great, and St. Helen. And what I didn't know is that St. Helen was Constantine the Great's mother. And that was something. And it goes back, this, this royal order goes back to before the Byzantine Empire and has been in Cappadocia is in Turkey. So, you know, uh, there are a lot of different ramifications of royal and royalty in Europe, as we know. Um, but I was in Las Vegas in June of last year, was knighted among, uh, there were 16, uh, 14 of us, seven women and seven men, I think it was, that were, were, were knighted um, uh, for... I, I'm going to go back to, I think it was really for my social work. And, um, and, and, I, and I think that Pope John Paul II had, might have been smiling down and had a hand in it as well. Um, it, was a, it was a lovely honor. Uh, it is a lovely honor. Um, we still do, they, they're very, also this royal order is very big on, you know, mothers, families. Uh, they are Christian, you know, Christian-based, Catholic-based, Christian-based, and um and so there you go. I I don't know really what it is that I do uh, that would make that I would be nominated, <laughs> but I'm I'm very honored. Um, it's hard for me to, you know, to to even conceive certain things sometimes. But yep, there you go. Well, wonderful and very well deserved. There you go. Dame Clarissa Burt, indeed. So, Clarissa, <laughs> what do you do to get inspired? Now, what I mean here is, let's say, I tell you what, universe, I'd like to be a TV producer or a director or, you know, I'm going to write a book. I need to make it happen. So mm-hmm. in the beginning of any kind of project like this, how do you get yourself ready to be inspired to get, get going? You get quiet. You think really hard and really, really deeply about what it is you want to be, where it is you want to go, and how it is you're going to get there. Sometimes you let the how go and just put let the universe work, worry about that, uh, and that's probably the easiest way. And then write it down. And then I do a lot of writing things down. I don't know. That, yeah, I'd have to unplug you and take you into another room. But I also have, you know, the big whiteboard pages with, you know, sort of the sticky at the top. Yep. And I, I do a lot of the work on there. 
And so these are blueprints, if you will. They are guides that allow me to understand what it is exactly the next steps are going to be. For me, the next natural progression with the self-esteem regime is to start keynoting all over the world. Uh, I'd love to be able to get into... Um, to the United Nations to do a speech. I'd like to be able to get into the White House. I didn't say this White House. They said eventually get into the White House to do a speech there as well. They have many different uh, events that they do there in the back gardens that I think would be about women, you know, mostly women's empowerment, but not only. Um, and I think that that would be, uh, those are the next steps. So those are the next, you know, goals that I've set for myself, definitely for, the, for sure. And then to start to do retreats you know, um, more than actual events to actually do retreats because I'd like to be able to work a little bit more one-on-one. The four pillars of self-esteem being look good, feel good, be good, and greater good. So everyone would come in and, you know, we 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 really just work on all of those four aspects. So helping them look good, making sure they know that they, they feel really good when they look in the mirror, uh, a feel good diet, exercise, nutrition, making sure that they're all set there as well because you know, there are two, we have two gut, you know, two brains, our gut being the second. Um, so better, you know, health, uh, physical health, uh, be good. It is your relationship, it is leadership, it is your business, it is your finances, all of the other things in life that keep you uh, moving forward and afloat. And then greater good is giving back, paying it forward, tithing, volunteering, uh, or just, you know, holding the elevator door open for someone as a kind gesture, helping a woman down the stairs with a baby carriage. Uh, sometimes it's nothing more than just a lovely compliment and a smile. Um, for those that, you know, don't have, cannot do broad stroke uh, gestures, sometimes the smallest of gestures, it's just a please, a thank you. And, oh, I love that that top you're wearing today. It's so, so lovely on you. Boom, done. I feel good because I said it. The person feels good because they received a compliment. It's, you know, we are the ones that complicate things, Jeff. It doesn't have to be that hard. Indeed. Even a smile makes such yeah. a massive difference. Yeah. And if you make a conscious... Everybody's walking around in such a bad mood right now. Yeah. Everybody's so... They're all, everybody's pissed off. Everybody's annoyed. Everybody's angry. Everybody's this separation, division. Uh, oh, my Lord. Wow. Okay. Phew, that's exhausting. Just the words are exhausting. Just and when you start to, you know, when you start to just, you know, relax into ease and peace and kindness, it's it just a, it's just a, it's a it's a it's a lovelier place to be, you know. Indeed. Well, as you know, I deliver keynotes all over the world, but I don't know whether you know that I have contacts for the United Nations. So there we go. Let me see if I can help you with that one there. How kind. Let, well, I'm not promising anything. I'm just saying I, I have contacts. But it's a kind gesture though. Now's Thank the time so to wave that magic wand, put it out to the universe, and, let, <laughs> and let's see what we can do. The okay. toxic stops here, Jeff. The toxic stops here. Indeed. And it's about taking responsibility. I have to get you back again to talk Ruh -ruh. more about the the reinvent the responsibility and all of these things in more detail because it is so powerful but unfortunately we're coming to the close of the show now now there's I told you i was a talker yeah. <laughs> I, <told> you. <laughs> I get you I back told <laughs> you were forewarned jeff you were forewarned we were talking before the show began and uh, you said, how long will it take? And I said, oh, somewhere between 
an hour to an hour and a half, maybe. But looking at all the things you've done, probably five hours for you, Clarissa. So, we're getting close. Yeah, we yeah. Close <laughs> well, we've gone on as long as a Hollywood movie does now. So yeah. here we go. So we're coming close to the end. Now, there's a question I like to ask every guest. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Dame Clarissa Burt, what is the most important thing you have ever learned? Uh, I think the most important thing that I've ever learned, honestly, is going to sound really hokey, but it is the truth. Uh, and that is the love of self. Um, you, you know, the love of self, the acceptance of self. Um, and because it's, it is really the thrust. It's, it's, it's what, once you learn that, once you accept that, once you give into that, you, that your world, world, you know, opens wide up and you're able to do so many things. Um, and, and what I've, you know, what I've, oh, as I'd like to think that I've always done, and that is to take whatever it is, uh, I've learned to take whatever, whoever it is I am and put it to good use, um, and, 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 and yeah, that would be my, my, and, and it wasn't an easy go. <laughs> that was not an easy go. So it took a bit, you know, I think, you know, we get, we so easy for us to fall in love with every, with someone else. Golly, is that, it's not that hard, is it? To fall in love with someone else. But, but boy, do we have a difficult time falling in love with ourselves. You know, and then we think to ourselves, you know, well, why doesn't that person want to be with me? I don't understand why that person left me or, you know, whatever. And you think to yourself, well, well, it, if you can't be with yourself, why do they want to be with you? That's so, yeah. so important and such, such value there. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, really Thank good. you for that. So, Clarissa, if someone wants to speak with you, wants help, wants to reach out to you, how do they do that? How do we contact you? You can send a carrier pigeon. Uh, no, okay. You can, um, <laughs> it's Clarissa Burt straight across the board on all social. I'm just not on Snapchat or Clarissa at ClarissaBurt.com. Okay. Nice and easy. Well, yeah. that, that's it for today. Dame you Clarissa Burt, you are truly phenomenal and amazing. Thank you. I, I am honored honored to know you and to know you is to love you for sure uh, thank you as am i you thank you i really enjoyed it thank you so much and to you the listener thank you for listening to the secrets of success i hope you've enjoyed the show and it's helped to ignite your passion to be a catalyst for action and giving you the fuel that you need to realize your dreams if you've enjoyed the show please hit the like button leave a review but here's the big one I'd like you to share the show with someone, even if it's just one person, because Dame Clarissa here, she spent time, I've spent time, and it would be wonderful, really wonderful, if we got to affect someone's life. That's why we do this, is to reach out. There might be someone there that we don't know about, and if we can help, we're in your hands. So please, please share the show with one person. You can share with more, but just one. That That's the price of listening. How fair is that? It makes a huge difference because without your help, we can't succeed. So please go ahead, like, review, 
and share the show with someone else. On another note, I'm always searching for great success stories. So if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to nominate a guest, please contact me on our website at jeff-smith.com. You know, I really would love to hear from you. That's it for today. Dame Clarissa Burt, thank you so much once again. You are awesome. That's all from me. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye.